And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 36 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Tuesday, July 22nd, 2014. You know, sometimes it feels like the world is a bad place, bad things happening all over the world. I'm speaking, of course, about the fact that Adam Levine, the lead singer of Maroon 5 and the host of The Voice, is now off the market for anyone who might have been hoping against hope. That's right. He got married this week. So why not tell us all about it in a review, won't you, over on iTunes? And then also, while you're there, let us know what you think about the show, because really, we're here to listen. And if you're looking for this 45 to 50 minutes of content marketing news goodness a few days early, we do also hope that you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher. And then stop by the blog post on Saturdays for thisoldmarketing.com, where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we talk about here. (laughs) Anyway, and also, as always, please welcome my colleague and good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome the guardian of the content marketing galaxy, or as I like to call him, content lord, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Two days and counting, guardians of the galaxy coming to a theater near you. I can tell you're super excited. (laughs) I am very excited. I am very, I love that comic book, and I absolutely Absolutely cannot. I, I am trying to stay away from the trailers, but it is not working. I am watching every stupid trailer and hating myself. It's like you know when you when you're trying to be on a diet and you go to the refrigerator and eat the whole pie, and it's like, oh god, why did I do that? It's like, yes, that's that's me right now with Guardians of the Galaxy. Is stuff. it like a com- is it like a comedy? I mean, they play it off like it's it's a comedy more than what they do in Iron Man and whatnot correct yes well it's right it's very tongue-in-cheek it's very um it's very tongue-in-cheek and it's and and they're it looks as though they're making it even cheekier than the comic um for the movie um you know which is just i mean it looks like it's trying to be a little bit of firefly meets uh you know sort of well guardians of the galaxy but it's i mean it's 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 meant to be tongue-in-cheek it's meant to be funny and and exciting and adventurous and it's a it's a great it's a very smart funny most of the well, time the, the only thing i know is the preview came on today and my oldest joshua walks in the room and he said that's chris pratt that's emmett from the lego movie we gotta go see that <laughs> <laughs> that you know what i didn't even put that together isn't that something uh, recognize the voice wasn't that, even yeah, looking at it heard the voice and that's said right, oh well. my gosh that's emmett we gotta go see that dad and he's not a superhero guy that's adam my youngest is so now, Everything is now awesome. we got to make a day of it, you know. Everything is awesome. I oh, God, I love that. I don't know why I love that song, but I so I totally do. I absolutely love that song. Well, should we? Shall we to the news? Well, you then? know, big big news week. Uh, you know, I went out for news. Week. I know I was away for a couple of days, and now it seems like everything happens when I'm gone. So I have to leave more often. Well, it's, I don't know what the heck happened. I mean, usually nothing happens at the end of July and the beginning of August, but. It just did. I mean, so, okay, so our first uh, big breaking, actually, even today as we record this, um, LinkedIn, dun-dun-dun, will acquire Bizzo. Um, this is a fascinating uh, acquisition, in, in my opinion. We'll definitely want to get your take. We haven't even talked about it. This is so fresh. It just came um, in. Like the, yeah, the LinkedIn PR person sent me a yeah. note maybe not even an hour ago, and I shot yeah, it over so, to you like, oh, there we go. So you are getting our very, very freshest take uh, on this uh, on this new acquisition. But there's two 
uh, posts that we'll put in the show notes, one from LinkedIn saying how delighted and wonderful they think this acquisition is. And then one, of course, from Bizzo, who also thinks the acquisition is delightful. And I'm sure everybody's bank accounts think this is delightful. But um, I want to get your take. I mean, mine is I have I have a very specific thing about one of the things that they're not going to do. But what did you think about this? You know, it's interesting. It must have been what, maybe seven or eight episodes ago. We talked about the fact that LinkedIn should buy Outbrain. Yeah. And we talked about that specifically so that LinkedIn could use advertising off network, off their own network to drive their exactly their right. marketing solutions product. And they talk about that in the release. So in, in the LinkedIn side of the release, which you can read on the LinkedIn site, they talk about how this is going to be part of their marketing solutions offerings and it's big. So now, you know, it's not Outbrain, it's Bizzo and it's clear yep. that they are going to put this in marketing and when some you know they're putting together a piece of sponsored content and they want to go beyond what they can offer from a distribution audience standpoint on the LinkedIn site they now have Bizzo they can advertise they can target however they want to offsite and I don't know I mean I didn't go into this we probably should check it out but how many sites does Bizzo have partnership it's hundreds of sites that Bizzo has partnerships. Well, it doesn't with matter. It, it doesn't matter. It's the retargeting, right? I mean, that's the, true. The, what they, I mean, this arguably is better than an outbrain acquisition because what this gives them is ad targeting at the individual level, right? So, and and most specifically on the B two B individual level. I mean, so Google must be. This is Google being put on notice right now that LinkedIn is coming directly after their retargeting business from a content perspective and, and, and on advertising um, because Bizzo has all this data. They've got it for, you know, I, 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 I forget the exact number. It's like 90 million or 120 million businesses. Um, and being able to match all of that with what LinkedIn has from a traffic perspective and they know who you are because you are identified within the LinkedIn network, they've got a way now to retarget advertising across the internet to you. So, so it's a, it's a pretty amazing and smart move. I think, you know, the interesting thing to me, what what was hard, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say it's, I forgot about the retargeting aspect. Of course it's, but that's the big part of this business where they have, they also, they have the, their agreements done on the ad side already on these different publishing sites. And then they also have the retargeting effort. And I, Boy, this is a this this is a big play, but I would imagine this is just step one. There's probably other pieces. Do you have a feel for what other pieces they need to bring together here? Well, I do think that they would value. I mean, whether or not they want to go down this road, like we were talking about, whether it was seven or eight episodes ago, I do think that they would really benefit from buying some sort of content distribution service, which this doesn't necessarily give them. This gives them the data to actually retarget ads that you know, a marketer may be running somewhere else. And so if they consume my LinkedIn content, I can retarget them with other ads or other pieces of content, you know, across the internet because I can retarget them as such. But it doesn't give them that sort of content spread like I had thought they might go for. So I, I, that would be my, the next step. I, as we talked about, we thought that might be the first step, but, but it's, um, this is a really, I think this is a really interesting move by them. Boy, they're going deep in marketing services. They, they really, really are. are. And yeah, I, they really I guess are. I'm a little surprised because there's so many, if you think of it, I mean, LinkedIn is now a media company, right? I mean, they've been a media company, but they're a full fledged right. media company now. And they're going in deep to marketing services. And most 
media companies shy away from that because it's not valued as highly. Or if you if you look at um, HubSpot is a good example who've shied away from services for so long because they don't want the you know they want the valuations of a technology company, not of a services company. Yeah. So this is just an interesting move, and they've just said, "Hey, we love this, we want this," and and they're going at it. So kudos to them. Yeah. Absolutely right. Absolutely. I mean, the one thing that's really interesting that the the LinkedIn post actually makes a point to say the one service that they're not bringing over is the data services from Bizzo, which is basically the the huge giant Rolodex that Bizzo has been able to assemble over the last X many years of however long they've been in business. You know, and that's basically the you know one of the the big businesses that are out there sort of, you know, the ability to append and amend data to your, you know, to your contact database if you're a marketer by using some of these services yep. like Bizzo, right? And they're not bringing that over. Why? Because they don't need it, first of all, because they already have it. They, they probably have better quality, high quality data than Bizzo does, quite frankly, because everybody who has a LinkedIn profile has every incentive to make that data as accurate and up to date as possible. But even more interesting to me was, okay, they don't need it, so they don't need to, you know, they can kill that service, was I actually went to Bizzo's site and said, huh, who, who gets hurt by this? And you start looking at all of the customers that are using and all of the people that are using in partnership with Bizzo, all of the data services that they're providing, including folks like Adobe and those kinds of things. And it starts to be like, wow, that's really interesting. So if I were one of these other data services out there, and there are plenty of them out there, boy, this is, this is going to be run around with your head on fire right now trying to, trying to figure out you know, who I should be targeting because they're about to get closed down. Interesting. Yeah, and, and a final piece on this, kudos uh, to the LinkedIn side that they put the announcement in a slide share. I just thought that, yeah. that, <laughs> I just thought that, that was a nice was touch. It's a really yeah. good one, actually. Very visual, yeah. works well. There you go. So, Absolutely. All right, well, in other... Maybe inside baseball a little bit news, um, this, but, uh, but nonetheless, good news, I think. Um, our friend Scott Monty, uh, so formerly of Ford, social media blogger uh, extraordinaire Scott Monty, uh, has finally announced today, he announced some time ago that he was leaving Ford, and has announced on his website, and then, of course, the Shift Communications uh, PR agency is also announcing in a co-release that, yay, Scott Monty is going to Shift Communication to be their new executive vice president of strategy. What say you, Mr. Polizzi? You know, it's interesting. We were talking about before we started, I remember following Scott as a blogger back, boy, this must have been seven, eight years ago, uh, before he joined Ford. And, uh, and I, I mean, I just thought that what he would, he was a blogger when it was not in vogue to be a blogger. It was back then right. when we all started and nobody knew what they were doing. And he was really talking about what was going on in social. We were all surprised that he got the gig at Ford. And I think that what's interesting is when his time at Ford, a lot of us, and you say it's sort of inside baseball, but a lot of us connected to Scott. When we see Ford, we see Scott. I mean, Scott right. was the voice right. of Ford when Scott, when we went, when I went to blog world or any of these conferences and you saw Scott walking around with his bow tie, he was Ford motor company. And, uh, I think that was a big loss, uh, for them as a spokesperson. And, and I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened with him at Ford, but, I think a lot of it is, and I've talked to a lot of big companies, I know you have as well, that get to a point where they get a rock star social media person or a rock star employee, and it's almost too much for them to handle. They don't know what to do with it because they have so much power uh, to do things. And 
of course, you and I have talked about this before on the program. You diversify. You create more of yeah. those people. You don't That's right. you don't try to downplay that. And I don't know what happened. Maybe he got a little bit downplayed at Ford and now, you know, as you said, he's he's going to the dark side here on the on the agency <laughs> side. I mean, good I mean, I've I mean, I know you know Shift Communications and, and Todd over there, they've done some great work and uh, you know, they, they recently hired I think it was Chris Penn. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, he's. I mean, Deferin is over there slowly building a little dream team of 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 you know of people, including Chris Penn and now Scott Monty, and and so he's you know, he's he's like uh, I don't know I don't know whether I want to announce that he's the Phil Jackson of of <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> especially with you, maybe, right? Maybe but, the, no, it'd be Pat Riley, right? The yeah, Pat okay, Riley right. of putting there together you go. The, the new dream team for the whole thing. I mean, the only and I think it's great. Congratulations to Scott. Yes, it's fantastic. Indeed. The only thing that I would say that that's sad from my perspective is I always like to have Brant. He's a great speaker, and I like and it's hard to find really really good speakers that also work for a brand. And now he's going to the HC side, so it's not as good for us. You know, yeah. on the on the conference side, but you know, kudos to him. I'm sure he'll do great. He's speaking at, at Content Marketing World actually on setting how you create a spokesperson for your organization and how you make that work. And there's probably no one better to talk about that than Scott. Well, it'll be really interesting to see how he includes his you know his new role into that into that talk because it it will be a very different world for him having you know having. Worked on the agency side as well as the brand side. They are very, very different things indeed. I'm sure he is up for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I have I know no he's going, doubts about I believe that. if I'm reading this correctly, he's going back to Boston, and he's lived in Boston for That's, four, so I'm sure that has so, a huge yeah, piece of, course, of it. Great, yeah, of course, great area as well. It's no Cleveland, but, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. So, uh, so Joe Polizzi's prediction came true, finally. Uh, I don't know uh, if you've all been following this, but here we go. Forbes has been sold. Dun, 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 dun. dun. I don't know how many times we've talked about this. I know. Um, It did not happen the way we thought it would happen, nor the way we predicted it would happen. But, uh, you know, and, and, and probably happened in a way that seems to me to be a bit odd. But Forbes announced this week that they have sold a majority interest in the company to, quote, unquote, a group of international investors, and I have my own sort of visualization of that in my head. But um, but yeah, this is a huge moment for Forbes. What do you think? You know, I, you, I, we were talking. We've talked about this forever, and I thought that Forbes this might have been one of the, one of the examples of a large media company getting purchased by a brand. Did not yeah. come true to an it extent. Didn't. I've got a little caveat to here because I think there's a little side play into this. But well, there may be. Right? There may be. Exactly. Well, one the, the the international investing group is I believe it's called Integrated Whale Media, which I don't really get the name, but you know who am I to say? So there's a couple plays here. One is global. They are going to take that Forbes brand and really, really hammer it down globally, and I think go beyond what they've done with their international licensing agreements. So there's an opportunity there. Uh, second thing they talk about is is the vertical push, and right. I think that's definitely going to happen. Where they're, where I think what we've talked about on this program, their audience has gotten so broad, it's very very tough um, to see actually who the audience for Forbes is. So they're going to break that into you know accounting and and different aspects of financial and that that's related to the Forbes brand. So I think that that's probably a good move. But the the one thing I want to get your take on this. So I'm looking at who Integrated Whale Media is that bought Forbes. Uh, part of this investing group is the co-founder of, uh, I think it's Asus Tech. 
Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, that's right. The big computer company, computer hardware yeah. company. So there is a little bit of a play there when you get a, you know, it's a large computer hardware manufacturer that buys into Forbes. And I don't know, we'll see if that plays. In the release, they go very deep in regardless, you know, Steve Forbes does. And says, you know, these people believe in our credibility. They almost even hedged against that and says, you know, there might be some people coming out against us and saying that our, our editorial may shift, but because they're keeping with current management and they're not going to shift, they're going to focus on keeping that trust and credibility and, and we'll go from there. So it looks like they're really investing for expansion. So I guess that's good. I mean, what do you, yeah, what's, your, what's your take? I, I think this is, so the whale part of the, the, the whale media group, I think is, you know, sort of the, the classic whale investor guy, uh, you know, metaphor, if you will. So I, 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 I don't put a lot of stock in terms of the, the Aces Tech, you know, or any of the companies that may be behind the people that are behind the investment. To me, this feels a lot more like when Bezos buys Washington Post or when Buffett buys, you know, a group of local newspapers, that sort of thing. That's what it feels like to me is that this is a group of international investors who are going to use their considerable clout in other areas to do exactly what you just said. Make it a more global brand, make it a more expansive and vertically uh, and vertically, I guess, integrated brand and basically flip the house. Right. I think that's what they're looking to do is is really put a lot of money in the existing team, watch them try and build something, polish the rock and then hopefully sell it to a, a larger media group at some point. That's that's my yeah. take. Well, the one thing I have to say, and it's covered, we'll put two links in the show notes, uh, one from New York Times and one from Forbes with the announcement. But the one thing that they talk about that's super important, I think critical for content marketers, is when they looked at their website, they didn't just duplicate the magazine as most publishers did. When, when the website, you know, when the web came out and print magazines were looking for what are we going to do, basically it was almost all a duplication. And Forbes was one of the first persons, people and organizations that said, no, this is a different channel. Let's look at our channel strategy. And it really became a separate entity from the print. And that's critical. And I think still today we see that in social media, right? Oh, we're, we've got a great blog post. Let's, let's, uh, we'll slam it out on Facebook, slam it out on LinkedIn, slam it out in, in uh, Twitter. It's all the same thing. When we right. really need to figure out, okay, what's our story here? Is it different? Who's our audience? Is it different? Is their behavior different? What do we want? What's the call to action? Is that different? And I think that's where Forbes, you know, we, you know, I've, I've been very vocal about how I've thought that Forbes has watered down their audience to such a point. Well, I made think it, they have to. Well, yeah. you made it tough to sell. I think that's one of the things that they're going to have to try to fix. And they're trying to answer that through this vertical segmentation that, uh, you know, Mashable has done and Huffington Post has done. So we'll see if they go that direction. But, you know, you got to give them credit. Then they talk about in 2008, 2009, they really did uh, combine those print and web teams, which I think was a little bit late. But they did uh, combine those, and I think that that's the reason why they had their best financial year in 2013 over the last six years was because they don't have those siloed groups. It makes a big difference, and I think that's the same that's problem. It's the same really problem that brands have, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, you, know, you can't accomplish when we – we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago with the Facebook issue. When they combined the groups, the product group with the advertising group, they came up with the app ad, which just generated more than a billion dollars since they launched it a year and a half ago. That's significant, and they did that because they got rid of the silo, and I think that's you can point a lot of Forbes success because of that as well. 
Well, that's that's such a great point. I mean, because, you know, so I look at it as a marketing guy and and not obviously through the lens that you look at it through. And I just look at it and go, you know, as a platform, I'm less and less interested in Forbes um, because of that watered down audience. And it's like it's just not special anymore. Right. I mean, you know, and just as a a point of example, you know, every week, you know, twice a week, I do research for what we're going to talk about on the weekly show. And I go look at the news and I've got various news feeds and magazines and go-to places I go to. And one of them, of course, is I do a Google search and I see what's going on. And, you know, so many times now I go and do a Google search on content marketing and click on the news tab and it's Forbes this and Forbes that and Forbes this. And it's just some random blog post that doesn't really mean much and it's not very special and very interesting. And it's starting to really wear on my brand perception of the you know of the Forbes brand and it's it's that to me as you know when I look at it at from a marketer's lens I I want to you know it's always that what's the aspirational brand of where I want to get my product or service covered either because I pay for it in native advertising or because I get earned media or because I you know try and write a story that that is interesting enough to them but Forbes more and more to your to your point is going to have to fix that because going more niche into the audience and developing a higher quality audience is going to mean yep. raising the integrity of that brand. Quality. I hope they fix it. I hope that's, I mean, now maybe because they're not struggling to sell and they found their majority yeah, investor, point. maybe they point. don't Great have point. to do that because you and I have seen it and like, we get this all the time. Hey, we would like to write for Content Marketing Institute. I'm a contributor to Forbes. I swear right. everybody's a contributor. But how many they got? Right. They must have thousands right. of them. I mean, it's right. not anything special anymore. And to your point, you're right. I would say 75% of the time when I go to Forbes and go to an article, it is not valuable at all. That's a problem. Right. And so hopefully they fix it because what a great brand at one point. And, uh, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of brands and businesses in trouble, and we've talked about this before for sure, um, a new article that comes to us from, uh, and this is, I think, the third time we've come to this really interesting Yeah, you're digging this called, site. You must have yeah, them on the speed dial here with the I RSS did, feed. They're, they're, they're Newsasore, uh, which is this uh, blog, really interesting. Um, newspaper crisis by the numbers. And this is the same guy, the Newsasore guy, who's uh, writing uh, a blog post this week and, and basically says, you know, look, here we are 10 years after, you know, really, you know, the, the, the advent of the Internet in mass. You know, somebody might argue 15 years. Somebody might argue a little longer than that even. But certainly as uh, the newspapers have started to really come online, basically, uh, you know, what it says is is that, the high, the you know, sort of the high watermark for advertising sales of newspapers was in 2005, and basically since that, it has gone downhill ever since. So for the last 10 years, from 2005 till now, basically the newspaper advertising and revenue has just been cut and cut and cut and cut, and basically is now down to less than half of what it was. So. What do you think about it? I mean, this. I mean, the news was just resoundingly bad for the newspaper business in this in this blog post. Well, yeah, it's it's been it's interesting. So he starts out with the best record high advertising sales for newspapers, forty nine point four billion in two thousand five, and then it's been down what fifty five percent since then, or something right. like that. That's right. So the 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 interesting thing is, I was reading this and I read a couple parts a couple times, 
And of course, as you know, I'm not in the newspaper side, but in the magazine side where we had similar issues where, you know, we had a lot of classified sales as well. Those dried up. And of course, that's the biggest hit that newspapers took, thanks to probably disruptors like Craigslist more than anything else. Uh, But I think the issue is that everyone seems to talk about newspapers didn't make the shift to digital fast enough. And I disagree with that. Because right. I think that it, we always talk about print dollars to digital dimes. Uh, you, it's very, very difficult to sell digital advertising, regardless if you're a newspaper, magazine, anything else. I think the problem is not going from ad, print advertising to digital advertising. It's going from print advertising to a different business model. Right, exactly. That's, that's right. the issue. Nobody seems to talk right. about that. They always say newspapers didn't make the, didn't make the change. I think that, no, that's not the issue. The issue is, and by the way, for the most part, the and I, I know there's some issues because he talks about, okay, here's the, the leading newspapers and here's their distribution and audience versus Facebook. And so it looks very small. It's, it's oh, you can take all the newspapers and roll them up and then there's the same distribution as Facebook or something ridiculous like that. I think the bigger issue is it didn't make the business model change. And the one thing I thought of, um, and I, I spoke with her. Uh, her name's Michaela O'Connor Abrams. She's a, she's a CEO of Dwell, and this was a, a it's a fantastic design magazine. That at the time when Michaela took over, it was just a print magazine, and then she's transformed it into more than anything else an e-commerce company. And I think that's where I think the opportunity is for a lot of these newspapers that they're missing the boat is in e-commerce, in research, and in data as those business models and totally away from advertising. And I think that's where the issue is. And, of course, it's all bad news here for the newspaper. But if we continue to say, hey, we've got to do something about digital advertising, then I'm sorry, that's not coming back. There's, it's right. not, and even if it does come back, they're never going to get the rates so they can't afford the newsrooms. Cause they, and that's what this article talks about, the droves of journalists that are they got laid off and, and the uh, – and the, the amount of resources they're putting against these newspapers are just not there anymore. So yeah. do, you have a, do you have a take on that one? I do. I, well, you know, and, and I don't know publishing, obviously, nearly to the extent that you do. But I, I think what you, one of the things that you said in there just completely resonates with me. And it brings me back to – I can't remember if it was last week or the week before where we talked about Clayton Christensen and the, and the, uh, you know, and the tiff that he got into with Jill Lepore – um, over the idea of disruptive innovation. And what you said there was so true, which is it's not about digital dollars versus or print dollars versus digital dimes. It's about print dollars versus a completely different business model, right? A completely different approach to how you actually understand the why you do what you do. And, you know, this goes back even before that to, you know, Theodore Levitt and marketing myopia and sort of even before that to Peter Drucker and, you know, just understanding the reason we're in business to begin with, which is what is it we, you know, what is it that we do? And this, you know, the the marketing myopia thing is that, you know, the railroads didn't understand that they were in the transportation business, not the railroad business. Well, you know, newspapers didn't understand they were in the something business the news business rather than the you know printed word business that's it yeah you're right you know and and so the thing that brings it that just brings it full steam ahead to me is is that you know without rehashing the sort of lapore versus christensen argument this is exactly what she where her thinking i believe is 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 flawed where 
and there's a great blog post. A big shout out to uh, a, a friend and colleague of mine, uh, uh, Dr. Tim Walters, who wrote an amazing blog post. We'll include this in the show. An amazing blog post on this topic, the Lepore versus Christensen debate here. And basically, what she says in her article that basically you know floors Christensen and talks about how disruptive dis- you know d- disruption is not anything and you know blah blah blah. Basically, she's not mad that. She's not mad at the theory. You know, it's like, don't hate the player, you know, hate the game. She's mad that newspapers and the print business, of which she is a member of, is dying. And, you know, she even says in her post, basically, she's what she's really mad at, what she's really irritated at, is the quote-unquote young upstarts who work upstairs and hide their, you know, and surf on the couch and play foosball and, and you know, sort of have this disdain for things that she finds so valuable. And... That's this sort of inability to move beyond our comfort zone in the business model that we have, you know, and that and that we hold so dear and our inability to change. And this is this is the big takeaway for me as a marketer, because I mean, and this is what I'm so focused on right now and all the research I'm doing for my book and everything is as marketers, we still operate in this old way. We all know that marketing is changing, right? We all look at the slides and we see that, you know, Facebook's a big deal and video and t- tweet and socials and ah, it's all a big deal, but we're still operating in these sort of mid 20th century hierarchies and sort of processes and campaign focused things and we don't change. And so this is a lesson for all of us that if we don't change, then we are going to get left behind. It's not that we are going to be able to hold on to this thing and, and be mad about it. That's who cares. As Christensen said, I just love this. Christensen says, you may hate gravity, but gravity doesn't care. And that's what's happening to newspapers right now. That's interesting. That's a great, great point. The The one comment here at the end of this, I think, is the is the most poignant thing. It's, it goes directly to what you were saying. This is a huge problem. Newspaper organizations are terrible at separating and reporting new revenue streams, data, events, books, whatever. Those and many more will be what it takes, will take the place of traditional advertising. If we don't plan for it, measure it, report on it, and focus on it, we're signaling it's not important. That's exactly, I think that's exactly what you're saying, where yeah. we're, it's almost like, I wonder what business we really are in. Yes, okay, FedEx is in the logistics business, and UPS is in the logistics business, and and uh, you know, a, a Marketo or a, uh, an Oracle might say that they're in the technology space. But really, look at the business model from a marketing standpoint, and it and it's completely changed. And maybe we're not measuring it, reporting it, looking at it the correct way, as if we were out there and we were supposed to actually get an audience, get and keep an audience. That's I was on an interview the other day. And they were just – it was something about what it, what would you do if you started today and you didn't have any of the history. And I said, well, if, if marketers out there didn't have any history, do you think that they would be looking around saying, hmm, who, who's got all the channels where my audiences are hanging out and how can I interrupt <laughs> right. them and disrupt them and get their attention? No, you'd be saying, how do I create my own audience? How do I create my own relationships? How do I create trust with those people by distributing, creating – conversing around amazing pieces of content information is as you say experiences so it's just i don't know it's exactly it i mean it's a, you know so that's the famous drucker quote you know the best way to predict the future is to go invent it and 
this idea about marketing being the creator of value to me is such an important piece of this because it was funny. I was actually having a very similar conversation with a brand new nonprofit startup uh, this week, and she was saying, how do I – she goes, we have this amazing concept, this amazing new concept. It's a new methodology. It's a new way of volunteering. We're struggling a bit with the name, but we really think this is the new way. And she was like, I don't understand how to advertise for that. And I'm like, you don't advertise for that. You go out and build it, build that as the thing, right? Go own that, build an audience around that new thing. They will naturally come to you. If, you can, if you're successful in building an audience around your approach, the, the, the new thing that you have that, by the way, is the value that's created by the thing that you produce, then – they naturally will go to you as the owner of that approach. That's the way that you differentiate these days. That's the way that you capture attention, and it's the way that you actually create an experience that will basically bring you from nobody to somebody. And whether that's a very small audience that you have very highly engaged or a very large audience that you keep minimally engaged is less important than actually doing something that starts that differentiation process. That's such a great point. Did you, by the way, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Did you read my newsletter note this week? Did you? Of course I did. Okay. Well, you know, yeah, you know that. I mean, that was deep into what you've been saying for a long time. But it was funny that you know Tom Gerace, the CEO of Skyward, we were having coffee, and he basically said, "The more great experiences you give your customers, the more disproportionate their loyalty to you." And that just hit me exactly. You've been talking about experiences forever. That's right. And I, you know, we're going back and saying. You know, that's a really good measure. How many amazing experiences can I give my customers? And then what does that mean? How many, you know, can I can I then look and say, okay, if, if we do more of these things, it will equal something in output or behavior change. And I think that isn't that, that's the battle. That's exactly what you're talking about. That's exactly it, right? That's exactly it, which is the more, you know, the... The only thing that differentiates us these days is our ability to, you know, and there's some debate, right? There's some fun, interesting, more esoteric debate about whether you can actually manage the experience or create the experience or whether you actually just optimize the uh, attributes of whatever it is you're doing so that people can, you know, in other words, you can't make the party great, but you can basically set the room and put on the music and, and have great candles and food and, and, and wine and and all that stuff to increase the odds greatly that you will have a great party. And that's maybe all we can hope for as marketers is that at every stage along the way, every stage along the buyer's journey, it's not about grabbing them by the hand and pulling them through some forced journey that we've created artificially. It's rather just setting the stage at every moment that the customer can possibly have so that the opportunity for experience is as great as it possibly can be. Don Schultz always said, he said, the, your competitors can copy everything you have except for the way you communicate. That's and exactly right. That, that's it. He's, I remember I, I, I cut that out of B2B Magazine in 2003, and I taped it up on my wall, and I still have it. <laughs> the great Don Schultz. It could not be more Isn't true to this something? day. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. does not change. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of doing new things and interesting things, um, our last news item of the day actually comes from somebody trying to do something new. And I know you definitely have a take on this. So here we go talking about Time Inc. again. Um, and they are creating this comes this article comes from Ad Age this week um, talking about Time Incorporated. They've created you know, here we go again, a competitor to agencies, they've created an eight-person unit to focus on native advertising for the publishing company. And it's going to be led by uh, the Sports Illustrated, actually, group creative director, uh, and uh, another from the business side, uh, basically a sales guy. Um, And so, uh, interesting. I I think it's a really interesting that, once again, we see this publisher creating a separate studio to create services for for their advertisers. What you know, what say you to this? Well, here's the interesting thing. Um, I've, I've known the folks at Time Inc. Content Solutions uh, for a long time. So uh, Chris Schraft uh, is president of Time Inc. Content Solutions. And when I saw this come out, I was totally under the belief that that would be a Time Inc. Custom Solutions role. So here, so, so Time Inc. Custom Solutions, over a decade old, part of time uh the organization and they basically work on the branded content content marketing projects for large brands okay so you had they already have a unit they've done some great work for a long long time so you so what do they do time has created a brand new group and this new group is the one that's going to do all the native stuff so i'm just (laughs) scratching my head a little (laughs) bit here robert because i'm trying to figure this out i and so i get this i'm trying so i'm trying to make sense they have a little bit too much history with time, so I, I get. So they have a a, a a pretty pretty robust group at Time and Content Solutions that, that do custom magazines and newsletters and blogging programs and social media programs and data programs, and they've been doing that for a long, long time for Time advertisers. So now you have this Time Inc. I don't know what, the, what are they going to call it? Native? Um, what is the group going to be called? Do you know? Uh, Whatever on. it is, the native the native advertising group, native ad group. Right, native ad group, the so, nag. The nag. <laughs> How's your nag going? Oh, my nag's just fine. Don't nag uh, me. Don't, yeah, get off my nag. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to think of why why do this. So I'm, I'm so so why create a new group? So so here's here's the way that I'm trying to rationalize it. When you have a client come in and they're working on their own content projects. So it has nothing to do with the tw- one of the 25 brands under time. And this is where the native ad group, right? The native ad group is coming in, and they need to work both sides of the equation. They need to be they work, work the internal politics with that internal time brand to make sure that they can create something native that makes sense graphically, that doesn't give away too much of the farm, and then they also right. have to work with the brands at the same time and put out whatever product they're going to put out. If you're on the time and custom solution side, you don't have to work on the internal politics. It's all client-driven. You're just like oh, an agency. Interesting. Interesting. So, now I'm, so, so now I'm saying, okay, that, that's, that's the differentiation. So the native ad group has to work both sides of those equations. The custom solutions group only has to be that agency portion but I still don't get it, Robert. I'm just right. like, well, but shouldn't, I mean, people, shouldn't they be right? Shouldn't they be the same? I mean, shouldn't it both? Shouldn't they be agency services for custom content? Well, yeah, but ba- basically, the custom. Con- I mean, think, I mean, the integration seemed obvious to me, right? If I well, go you create a custom content, well, that's what I'm saying. Wouldn't you think that if you're already working with a large brand on their content program, that having a new product offering that they maybe want to look into on those platforms? Might be time. Might might make sense. Yeah, it might right. make sense to do that. So I I don't 
I don't I don't get it. I I just don't see the rationale to making this move the way they did. So it, maybe I'm missing something. I, am I missing something? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I I, I, I don't I don't think you're missing anything. I think anything. it could have I mean, been a, it could have been a lost opportunity. And maybe this is just all politics. It could yes, be well there's that too. I mean we I mean we we often group creative director yeah, right. Chris Hersick uh is from Sports Illustrated Group. Right. Okay, so there you go. And then they're bringing in a senior VP of marketing from Cannondale. Right, that's right. To run that, so they've got an. So Hersick is on the editorial. It's new, side. so it's basically brand. It's a. It, they're cre- they're creating something. They're not sort of, you know, what that says to me is is that they're sort of forming a new thing. Right, everybody gets new cubicles. It's not kind of the thing where okay, you'll do this as part of your job now, and you'll do this as part of your job. It's like they're going to get like a new little office space and they're all going to have a little, you know, new business cards made and all that kind of stuff too. So maybe that's part of it is that, you know, they, they want to feel like this little outlaw, you know, area and keep it, you know, keep it, you know, it's a, a whole church and state thing. Maybe I can see both. I can really see both sides. I just figure if you already have a group, a production group already in place, maybe it would make sense to leverage that and, and good, you know, good for them. I hope they figure it out. It looks like, from the Ad Age article, that they're going to take a more deliberate approach with some of these 25 amazing brands that they have, uh, yeah. like you know Food and Wine magazine, and they have uh, Entertainment Weekly, uh, Fortune people. I mean, these are, <laughs> these are some of the best brands in the world. Yeah, that they, including Sports Illustrated, right? So I think that you know, hopefully that they'll figure that out, and there's a different solution for each one of those because you have a different audience. You can't just no. do a cookie-cutter approach. Yeah. Well, speaking of some of the best brands in the world, let's talk about one of the best brands in the entire world, shall we? Is it that time? Is it, it is that oh, time. It is well, absolutely this, that time. <laughs> this old marketing is, once again, proud to be sponsored by Emma, myemma.com. Emma is email marketing for the modern brand, featuring mobile responsive templates, social integration tools, and of course, it goes without saying, but I need to say it because some of you are listening for the first time, the all-important concierge services. Emma is promoting. We've been talking about this webinar for a while. You and I have both seen it. We, if you haven't seen it, you have to go see it, the eight-second challenge, email marketing for the shrinking attention span, which now, I and I didn't know this. We talked about it last time, I think, that human beings have less of an attention span, uh, even far less than a goldfish, which I think is nine seconds. I don't know how they That's figured right. that one out, but there you go. Uh, you can you can download <laughs> you can download the eight second challenge at bitly dot com slash pnr dash emma eight. It's a really good piece of content. Absolutely. So uh, bitly dot com slash pnr dash emma eight, or go to the show notes and you can click on it directly. Please and support our sponsor. Um, we couldn't do this without them. So really appreciate it. Emma has been. We've had many many great sponsors. We will have many more. But as far as we've been running this for our thirty six episodes, Emma has been the dominant sponsor, so we have a special love in our heart for, for Emma. We absolutely do. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. All right. Well, now it is time for the show that uh, everybody seems to love the most, our rants and rave sections, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that is bugging us or something that we just absolutely want to call a little love to. So I'm going to go first because I'm actually handling this old marketing 
uh, this week, and my rave this week. Oh, rave! Um, a oh. rave! Oh. A rave! Well, I went two rants in a row. I mean, I mean, I think it's. Uh, I think I gotta have a rave. Yeah, three here. three rants, and they check you into the facility again. So well, they might. Yeah, I might get. I get. I might get to be known as that cranky old guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so. I gave myself my own headline. Nobody else used this headline uh, this week, but I'm giving it my own headline. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic won the internet this week. Um, he certainly did. So uh, if you are didn't see, if you were somehow under a rock and didn't see any of this viral content getting spread on your Facebook feed or Twitter or just everywhere, Weird Al Yankovic did something really impressive this week. So what he did was... He launched uh, for promoting his new album, which I'll get to in just a second, which is just makes this even more poetic. Um, he launched eight days straight, a new single every day for eight days. For the last eight days, he's received, he basically released a new video of a new song. And each one of those, what he did was, and this is the magic of content marketing just in its, in its just purest form, he basically went out and partnered with media companies. But he didn't just do it. He didn't go out to one and partner for all eight. He went out to eight different companies and made them appropriate for each video that he was in song that he was trying to promote. So he went out to Funny or Die and College Humor and The Nerdist and Yahoo and even The Wall Street Journal and gave them the exclusive access, basically uh, rights, to show the video for a certain amount of time and basically they in turn paid for the production of the individual video. So he got eight videos made for free by these media companies who paid to have the video produced of his song, which then of course promotes his album. There's a wonderful interview that he did uh, with Stuart Varney on the Fox Business Network, um, basically just schooling that guy about how the internet and content marketing actually really work these days. The brilliant part of this to me is you know the a lot of the initial sort of response to the, the some of the videos were like well these are like old songs and his the challenge was and the reason that his album is called mandatory fun is because he has in a classic uh argument and has been for some time with his record company and this is his last album under that record company and so this was really his way of sort of the reason the name of the album is mandatory fun because of course you know sort of a pun there but basically, this is the last, and so from this point forward, he's going to be using the internet and releasing signals much more in a timely manner for how for how uh, for how this you know to to sort of take advantage of the of the popularity of the song and stuff like that. But the the music videos themselves are just fantastic. I mean, there's one that's a a take on Pharrell's Happy. Mm-hmm. There's one the the one that I I actually probably love the most only because it's something I just live and breathe every day is the one that was last that was on the Wall Street Journal that came out. Um, uh, it's uh, it's a, it's called Mission Statement and it's basically an original song um, done to the tune of uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, uh, uh, Judy Blue Eyes, which is just oh I haven't just, seen that. I'll have to oh check my it out. god, it's so good. It's Jeez. just basically every marketing business buzzword they talk. You know, you know, he's talking about monetize and synergize, and uh, it's just it's just so fantastic. Anyway, the 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 takeaway for me, what I love so much about what he did here was by partnering with individuals for each single. Imagine the amount of data that he has now about which ones of these media platforms actually commanded the most audience, the most 
uh, actions, the most views, the most, the friendliest partners, the most, I mean, the amount of data that he has as a marketer now, just by making sure that he was aligning his content to the media and audience that was going to feature that content is just super smart in my, in my view. So instead of just taking the easy way out and doing one company, one sponsorship, pay for all the videos and just let it go, he actually managed in a complete portfolio of native advertising across all of these different platforms. And he now has great valuable data about which ones are actually great ones to partner with in the future. Just a, just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant effort. Do, do we know, have any data about how the songs sold or? Well, the album hasn't come out yet, but the, oh. um, uh, so, so no, there's no, there's no, uh, I don't think there's any data on pre-sales or anything like that available. At least I haven't seen any, but, um, but certainly the, some of them have gone more viral than others. Interesting. That's great. Yeah. Great, great, great. Yeah. So my, mine real quick is, um, Something actually based on I wrote an article uh, that was released on Monday the 21st, which is yesterday as we speak. It's called Why We Are Hiring for a New Content Role, and You Should Too. And it's basically right. about yeah. yeah, it's about content curation but focusing on, on our internal acts, assets instead of going out and finding things to talk about, um, which I think is – probably the content creation that is uh, most in need of love with organizations. And so here I you know, took the family, took the kids over to uh, Battle of Gettysburg site. I hadn't been to Gettysburg since I was, I think, eight years old. So it's been well over 30 years and got to tour the battlefield. And it was amazing and went to the museum, the Gettysburg uh, Military Museum, which is, by the way, fantastic. I would, if you're ever in... You know, mid southern uh, Pennsylvania, you could check it out. Please do. But the whole gist was, and this is just, you know, this is the stuff you pick up as your content curator. They basically say the same thing dozens of different ways, dozens, you know, looking at how people want to engage in their content. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that they were talking about the size of troops where they were saying, okay, here's a corps, here's a regiment, here's a division. Well, they have a a, a big visual on the wall in the museum, and it basically shows exactly what they look like. And then next to it, they have the words. So they have the text next to it. Then they have, okay, here's what it would look like. And then they have an interactive game that talks about that you can go right next to it and you can put put together, okay, how would you set up your troops and how would they work and whatever. Oh, wow. And then they have a video about it in the next one. And then they have an audio version. So I'm just, it's the same content, Robert. It's the same exact thing that we wouldn't think anything of and say, oh, okay, put it on the wall or put it on the, and they just tell it in so many different ways. So they, and we really look at it from, and I'm thinking, okay, there's an infographic. Here's how they do it in text. Here's how they do it in video. Here's how they and they have little video rooms throughout. Then they've got the audio tour that you could do. I mean, it is just state of the art. And as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, wow, I wish that more brands we work with would look at it that way. Yeah. They basically, I mean, you have one piece of content, but you you think of it, and they had to plan for this, and that's what I love. Because what most brands do is they say, okay, let's create a piece of content, and it does really well. It goes viral in their terms, right? And they say, oh, what are we going to do? How do we repurpose this 100 different ways? Well, what Gettysburg did, the museum did, was they said, okay, here's what we have. How are we going to tell this in different ways to our different audiences and make maximum impact? That's well, that's such a that's such an important that's such an important point. I want to I want to reiterate that because that's such an important point. Most 
brands will start, most companies, let's not even say brands, most companies will start with, I've got a great idea for a blog post, and here it is. And then, but... And then they might, they may or may not have a good idea for a blog post. Instead of saying, I have a good idea for a story, and here it is. And let's flesh out the story first, and then let's see what the best way to express it is, including ways to express it in multiple ways, right? I've got a great idea for a story. Great. Let's flesh out that story, and let's talk about what it is and what it means and the arc. Now let's figure out how it might work as a blog post, as a white paper, as an infographic, as all of the above, as a video, as, a, as an image, as a campaign of images, as, you know, as a, as a two-hour movie, as a theater piece. As a, you know, this is, that's that planning you're talking about that they did. They took one idea and expressed it in all these different ways and said, you know what? This reinforces the learning. We can, you know, we can basically do the same thing. And basically, by the time they get out of there, if they don't understand what a core is or what a troops are, you know, if they don't understand, that's their fault because we've actually told it to them yeah. in like nine different ways. So it's just – and back to even your weird L thing. It's the same thing. It's just, but it's planning for it up front, which I think is what most companies don't do. Yep. And even if you did it for two or three or, or four different ways and you have to do 10 or 15 the way that Gettysburg does – you know, I think that you could make some amazing impact, but I j- we just have to think of it, and that just all comes down to planning—just simple planning. So. Such a great, such a great point. I love that story. I love that story. Well, okay, so it's now time for the namesake of our show, there this old go. marketing, where we talk about something that has, uh, you know, basically been around for a long time and really exemplifies a great example of content marketing. And this example this week, I absolutely love, and mostly the reason I love it is because. It was something that you inspired me for when you and I were in Singapore and you went off in that meeting on that rant about how brands should start to look at existing properties and acquisition of existing. I, I haven't been able to get that out of my head for the last like year. Sorry really. about that. It's yeah. quite all right. I mean, I just <laughs> love this idea so much. But finally, we actually have a great example of this in action, which is. So this, um, we've been talking, I've been talking a little bit with the company L'Oreal, um, a wonderful company, and, um, and, and talking to them about some things that, uh, well, we're just talking about them with some things. And they have a property that's been around for a while called Makeup.com. So Makeup.com is exactly what you think it is. It's a wonderful website that is filled with how-tos. It's filled with videos on, on different types of makeup, and not just L'Oreal brands, but just basically how-tos and best practices on how women can apply and use makeup for fashion purposes. And it's a wonderful content marketing owned media platform. The, the cool thing is, is that it actually started in 2005. So it's now t- 10 years old as a website, but it started as an e-commerce site. And it was going to, you know, it was basically going to be what you would think of when you would go to makeup.com if it were a sort of online catalog of being able to buy different brands, you know, like shoes.com or something like that, where you'd go buy all different manner of makeup and and be able to purchase it well it didn't work as an e-commerce platform and so it went for a few years and didn't do very well and it had some con you know content on it and was you know had a community going and just really sort of stumbled along for a while but in 2011 um, L'Oreal purchased it and basically relaunched the entire site basically took a fresh new look at it 
took a bunch of experienced contributing writers from fashion magazines and you know professional editors and writers. Um, they made a deal with Federated Media originally. I don't know if that deal is still in place, but originally they had a deal with Federated Media to outsource much of the editorial content, but basically hired professional editors and really revamped the thing to include all kinds of feature stories, blogs, slideshows, how-to videos, beauty news and tips and tricks and all that kind of stuff. And they've now created this wonderful community of engaged users across this owned media platform to engage in all manner of things. And just like we've talked about with the way Kraft is doing with food and family and the way that other owned media platforms are now really becoming core pieces of what brands are doing, Makeup.com now becomes a core piece of what L'Oreal USA is all about. And I love – what I love about this is that they didn't sort of – struggle and figure out oh my god how are we going to they took something that was already existing leveraged their strength and what they would have normally spent in media dollars and actually built something actually created value out of something and that's why i love this is a as a as a as an example of this old marketing that is literally has existed for 10 or more years and in the last six years has really been about content so it's just i think it's just a great example I love it because if you go on their About Us page, they have a their mission statement right on there. And you know I yep, love my content marketing mission statement. There it <laughs> is. They go right on there. And, I, boy, the you know, what what a still a great opportunity right now. I don't know if I'll be saying this next week or in a year from now or five years from now, but I, feel, I really do feel small companies and large companies, if you look to see where your audience is hanging out and there's an opportunity there to, to buy versus build in one of your audience segments – I would be looking at it right now. Yep. It's absolutely. A great, great example. All right. Absolutely right. All right. Well, that is it. Where where are you still home this week? Do you, I know you're back from Gettysburg. Yeah, but, so uh, went to, we did the Hershey Park thing. Uh, big shout out to Marty Baker, our, one of our friends over at Hershey, oh, who hooked, hooked yeah. me up with oh, some – Marty, uh, I love Marty. Yeah, Marty got, got us some uh, – chocolate world 4d tickets so that <laughs> that was really nice of them to, to help us out there as we went to hershey park and then then gettysburg and then came back today because i had to come back for the podcast of course of course uh, so we had had to do that and, and no i'm um you know basically just hanging around here we're we're really just getting psyched up here for content marketing world i mean now is the time when you get i think we're six and a half weeks out from it's today, amazing and now, now the registrations come rolling in. I mean, this is when I look at my email and I see them coming in. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, look at that brand. Look at that brand. And uh, we are, we're, you know, fingers crossed, Robert. I mean, I'm looking to blow by 2,500 this year. So there it is. So there here we is. go. I hope we do. You'll see. I mean, either way, it's going to be great. But I'm, it's amazing at how we're pacing this year and just super psyched about it. So. Are you, are you just working on the book now? Or? I'm heads, yep, I am heads down into the book um, because, as you know, I have my deadline. Um, we have a little special thing planned for Content that Marketing World correct. this year. And, um, and then uh, the full book after that, but, uh, but we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I am heads down working on all things CMI. Got a couple of client things that I'm working on, some writing. Um, just, just enjoying the summer heads down and not traveling, although that changes uh, a little bit in August and certainly – Content Marketing World will kick off uh, a very, very busy fall season for me for, for, for traveling. So, so it kind of enjoying being home for a little bit. Well, you deserve it and uh, keep, keep trucking with the book. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, Absolutely. And I guess that's it. So That is it. Uh, it. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And tweet us up, would you? Come on now. Hashtag this old marketing. Follow us. You know, 
get to thisoldmarketing.com. Get to this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. It's just this old marketing goodness. And if you like this episode number 36, please do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All of those links, including the show notes, available at our lovely little corner of the web, thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. This Old Marketing.